Thanks for checking out the Crossing College and Career podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you and challenges you to walk confidently in your identity in Christ. Let's start off by asking the question, uh, if anybody here has ever dealt with any sort of tension or stress in a relationship? Someone said no, if someone's perfect. Tension or stress in a relationship, most people here, everyone else is lying because everyone has dealt with that. But have you dealt with it to the point where the relationship actually ended? Yeah, a couple people? Good, because today we are going to be talking about the importance and the art of restoring relationships. And I'm not talking about those toxic relationships where there's things going on where we know there shouldn't be. I think we're all smart enough to know what you should avoid. I'm talking about those things that are in your control. Two major factors here that I see that happen in relationships as well are, I think, miscommunication and unmet expectations. So miscommunication basically happens when there's lack of context, Um, There's assumptions made about things, or just the communication in and of itself is super, super vague. But the big one I want to concentrate on is unmet expectations. And I think that we can all probably think of a time where we've had maybe expectations put on us that we knew we couldn't meet, or we put those on other people, sometimes even unspoken, and expect them to meet some sort of standard that we've never even really expressed. And I think an example of this for me personally, and maybe other people can relate to it as well, is like when you're trying to like get in shape, like COVID was not the best to me. And COVID is not an excuse anymore because it was literally like two years ago and I'm still this big. But when you go to the gym, I have this expectation that like I'm going to eat healthy for like two weeks and work out every day and I'm going to be freaking shredded. Like should probably start an Instagram page with, you know, my fitness journey, but after two weeks, nothing happens, and you're like, all right, forget this, and you get frustrated, but think about a time, think about something in your life where you have this expectation that may not be normal, but you get frustrated, and what I want to say is that unmet expectations are always going to lead to frustration. Unmet expectations are always going to lead to frustration, but there is an answer to this problem, and the answer is we need to let our observation take precedence over the expectation. In other words, we need to go with the flow. So some people would say, hey, don't have any expectations at all. I don't necessarily want to lean that way. I think there's a place for healthy, realistic expectations um, that are communicated well. That's very important. I think it's important to have those. There's something to reach for. But When we come into any situation, especially with other people in relationships, and there's an expectation that's not met, that's okay. Let your observation take the lead there instead of the frustration from the expectation you had taking the lead. Go with the flow. Deal with the reality of the moment rather than the frustration of the expectation. Does that make sense? And so the goal tonight, and what I want to do, is us to look inside of ourselves and see if we need to restore relationships. That's what this whole entire night is going to be about, is restoring relationships and how we do that. Because God is a God of restoration, and I'll prove it to you. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this, all this is from God, 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We literally have a ministry of reconciliation. Yes, we should go preach the gospel. Yes, there's other verses of things we should do. But God is telling us right here, you have a ministry of reconciliation with people. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And if God can restore us, people like us, sinners, far off the beaten path, if he can restore us to him, he can restore any relationship in your life. Think about that. If he can restore us back to him, do you think your situation or your relationship is too difficult for him to restore? Because a lot of the times we would just want to throw it away and say, I want something completely new. God doesn't throw anything that he makes away, though. He restores. It's exactly like the potter and the clay. He's constantly molding, constantly shaping. And so we need to get on board with him and stop I guess taking the easy way out to say, I'm just not even going to deal with it and go through the process of restoration. And so how do you know if you need to restore a relationship? How do you know? I want to give us one simple way to know. It's almost a relationship restoration test of sorts. And for me, I think it speaks to everybody. Whenever a person's name is brought up or you see them, you get a little... The best way to describe it is like a, mm. it can be anywhere from probably this area to about up to the neck. Sometimes it gets you in the neck. Sometimes it gets me like right back here. But I get that little clench your fist a little bit. The, and that little, mm, I think every single person here can relate to what that is. Can you? Does that make sense? That's the test. And I'll give you guys a personal story about this. And thank God he's not here tonight for the first time in a while. Pastor Jeremy, he's on staff here. Hopefully he doesn't listen to this. No, it's okay if he does because we went through it together. For those of you that don't know, when I came on staff here probably around a little over three years ago, he was uh, my boss at the time. And he and I did not get along whatsoever. I just did not like the guy at all. We clashed. Um, both of us had a big personality. I was, at that time especially, I still get this way, but you are not going to tell me I'm wrong type of guy. And so we, he just got very frustrated with me. I got frustrated with him all the time. I would literally just tell him to his face because I'm pretty blind. I just, I don't like him. Like, there was no beating around the bush. Like, he knew it. But it was a very strained relationship. We did not, I don't even know if he enjoyed me. I don't think he'll admit it. But it, I, I was not easy to work with, but... I, it was just not a good situation. And so we went through this whole thing, and nothing ever really got resolved because I ended up getting a new boss here, and I knew I had to have a conversation of forgiveness with him. So I went to him, and I said, hey, man, I know I don't like you. I know we went through this, this, and this. I need you to forgive me, though. I'm sorry. I take responsibility for all of my actions. We went through a whole thing. He forgave me. I forgave him. All is good, right? You guys have been there. But what happens when you do that, and there's still that little, mm, you know, what do you do? Because I, I Christianize things, and I say, well, God tells me to forgive. I know for a fact I forgave him, and he forgave me. I'm just going to push it to the side. But little things, even like he has two awesome, well, now three awesome children, but at that time it was two. And I, even when I would see his kids, I would get frustrated. And there's, it wasn't even him. 
It's like, you're part of his family. I don't want anything to do with you. <laughs> his kids would frustrate me. I'm like, what am I doing? And so I went to him. Eventually, this was eating at me. And I said, hey, and I prayed to the Lord. I said, I, what is it? I don't know what is in between us, why I don't like him still. Couldn't figure it out. I went to him. It was the most awkward thing ever. And said, hey, I, for some reason, still don't like you. I don't know why. I prayed about it. And I know we went through this whole forgiveness thing, but I can't explain it. And I think we need to restore this relationship. He and I talked for a little bit, didn't really even get an answer to the problem. But we prayed together, and supernaturally, God lifted that offense, burden, whatever that was, off of me. I still don't even know what it was. But after that, funny enough, a couple months later, they said, hey, this is going to be your boss again. And so now he's my boss again. <laughs> but that's how God works sometimes. And so I want you guys to really get a hold of, yes, forgiveness is good. Yes, having those conversations are good, but sometimes it's not enough, and you know it's not enough in your heart of hearts, and you need to keep going the extra mile until you know it's right. Because all of us get caught up in that little phase to where we think we did the right thing, and on paper we did, but in our heart God is telling us something different. Listen to that. So for Scripture, what we're going to look at tonight is the book of Philemon. Um, the reason I want to do this is because even as a pastor, I really haven't read Philemon before. And I think it's such an awesome story because we can talk about restoration of relationship and forgiveness and all these um, stories that we hear most of the time. The prodigal son, you know, the king and the servant. There's plenty of different things, but these are parables. The difference with Philemon here is that this is actually a true story. So Philemon was a wealthy businessman from Colossae who basically accepted Christ because of Paul's preaching. Paul was preaching in Ephesus, and Philemon heard him, and he got saved. And so then he started hosting a church back in his home, which is most likely who Paul wrote the letter of Colossians to. And so Philemon, like most wealthy people in the day, he did own slaves. And so one of his slaves' name was Onesimus, which means useful in Greek. And we don't know why, but Onesimus ended up running away. Now, Philemon at the time, he was saved and slavery was not what we think of it sometimes in the, um, in the context uh, that we think of it. They actually treated some people, and I'm guessing if Philemon was saved and he had slaves, he was treating them pretty well because all of them weren't running away and trying to get away. Uh, so we don't know why Onesimus really ran. But through the providence of God, when Onesimus ran away, guess who he ran into? Paul. So he was, someone nailed that. You can tell by the yes, it was probably... Her name starts with an F. Paul really liked this guy, though. He ended up getting saved, and he saw Onesimus as a son in the faith, but the law required him to return this runaway slave back to his master. So Paul chose to return Onesimus, but he helped him by sending a personal letter for Philemon, a.k.a. the book of Philemon, asking him to recognize Onesimus as his brother in Christ, forgiving him of all the wrongdoing. So we're going to read Philemon right now, starting at verse 4, and I want you guys to just kind of pay attention to this story, because what I'm going to do is pull out a couple parallels of how we can restore relationship through this. So starting in verse 4, it says, so uh, Paul is addressing Philemon directly, talking about Onesimus the slave. So he says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me a great joy, encouragement, and because of you, brother, you have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. 
So he's almost starting off with flattery to Philemon. He knows this guy, and he's almost encouraging him. But then in verse 8, he says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It's, I, it's as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. So Paul is literally calling this guy Onesimus, this slave, his son already. He said, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful to both you and me. Funny because his name literally means useful. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in the chains for the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Because I'm sure Philemon did not want to do that. He would probably be very frustrated when this guy got back. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I'll pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit for you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. So this book right here provides us with some helpful tips on how we can restore relationships in our lives. So what I want to do is go through seven steps on how you can restore relationship in your life. Number one is talking to God before talking to the person. Talk to God before you talk to the person. I guarantee you, although it doesn't really mention it here, that, God was, or that Paul was probably talking to God before he wrote this letter. Because that's what Paul did. All day, every day. Talking to God in communion with the Father. So if you'll pray about the conflict first, rather than what most of the time we do is gossip to a friend. We call it sharing our heart sometimes, or whatever you want to put on it. But a lot of the times it turns into gossip. And I think that sometimes if we talk to God before we even get to that step, that you'll find, like in my situation, he can supernaturally change your heart. He can. I, I, it's bad to say because I'm a pastor, but it's hard for me to get that, like, miracle, supernatural, um, just wrapped in my head. I'm such a practical and logical guy. But things like that happen to me, and I know it's possible. That's what God does. And so if he doesn't change your heart, sometimes he can even change the other person's heart just because you're talking to him about it. Tell God your frustrations. Cry out to him. Tell him why you're hurting, how you're hurting, what you think your side of the story is, all these things. And I think some of the times the unmet expectation towards other people, we're, we're putting something on other people that should be God's and he should be filling. And so some of the needs we're looking for other people to fill and we get frustrated with them for, God is trying to fill that hole in your life. And he's saying, talk to me about it first. You should have never put that expectation on them anyway. So talk to God before you talk to other people. That's number one. Number two, always take the initiative. Always take the initiative. Paul here took initiative on the behalf of Onesimus to restore a relationship. And it doesn't matter whether you're the offended or you're the offender. God expects us to make the first move. Don't wait for somebody else. You act first and take initiative. And restoring relationship is so important. Jesus commanded us 
that it even takes priority over worship. Matthew 5.23 says, if you're offering a gift at the altar, and while you're there, you basically remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the front of the altar, go be reconciled to them, and then come offer your gift. When relationship is strained or broken, God, through that scripture, even specifically, is telling us, act immediately. He doesn't even want us to worship or offer a gift at the altar if we have an offense towards a brother or sister. That is pretty wild to me. I think that means he takes it pretty seriously. But what we all do is we all get around to it. Well, I need to pray on it a little bit more. Tomorrow is always going to turn into tomorrow. Always. I don't know how many times in the past I've said tomorrow, and then it's there, and I'm like, yeah, I said tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. That means tomorrow. And it never comes. Delay only deepens the resentment and makes matters worse. And there's the saying that, you know, time heals everything. It does not. (laughs) It causes things to fester. So acting quickly reduces, actually, the spiritual damage to us. The Bible says sin, including unresolved conflict, blocks our fellowship with God and keeps our prayers from being answered. And it also just makes you miserable. Why think about that thing all the time? A lot of times, and I tell some of the interns this too, you have to see what you value more. I value a restored relationship and something not bugging me all the time rather than the uncomfortableness and the awkwardness it takes to actually do it. It's your choice, really. If you're not doing it, then you're saying, okay, it's just too uncomfortable, too awkward. No, I see the value in a restored relationship at such a high level that I don't really care how uncomfortable or awkward it is. I'm going to do it. So take the initiative. Number three, sympathize with their feelings. Basically, use your ears more than your mouth. Listen. Before attempting to solve any disagreements, you've got to listen to where people are coming from. Paul advises us, he says, look out for another one's interest, not just for your own. And so focus on their feelings, not the facts, because we all have our own facts. But I think we should always begin with sympathy, not solutions. I come to the table, I used to, I don't do it as often, but I know I still do it sometimes. But I come to the table with, you know, I forgive you, you forgive me, hash everything kind of out, but this is the way we should move forward without any sort of interaction with the person. I'm coming with a solution, and there's no sympathy there. Don't try and talk people out of how they feel. Even if you don't agree with it, that's okay. Just listen. Because the old saying, I mean, I don't know if it's old or not, but we hear it all the time. It's like people don't really care what you know until they know you care. You can spit truth all day, but if I don't trust you, and I know you don't care, and you're just doing it for some other motive, okay. You can't penetrate someone's heart like that. You can't restore a relationship that way. You really can't do it. You have to sympathize with the person. It's not just about you. It's about them, too. So sympathize with their feelings. Number four, confess your part of the conflict. So Paul goes above and beyond with this in verse 18. He says, hey, if he's done any wrong to you at all or owes you anything, charge it to me. 
So Paul takes responsibility for something that's not even his fault. And he gives us an awesome example of that. But if you're serious about restoring a relationship, you should begin with admitting your own mistakes. Jesus himself said that is literally how you see things more clearly. He tells us, take the log out of your own eye first, so then you can try and remove the speck from the person you're trying to talk to. But you've got so much going on with you that you can't even really see it clearly. Take responsibility for what you've got going on first. And since we all have blind spots, I recommend sometimes maybe even getting a third party. This does not include the gossip portion I talked about earlier. But bouncing ideas off a trusted person who is going to give you solid and godly wisdom without gossip. And I don't believe in the, there's this, I don't know if I'm right or wrong for saying this, but I don't believe in there are certain people who have this idea of, hey, you, if someone comes to you and they start talking about another person, you immediately ask them if they've talked to the person. If they haven't, you cut it off so you're not involved in the gossip. I, I, I get there is some truth behind that, but at the same time, if the person comes to you in confidence and they're trying to resolve a situation genuinely in their heart and they don't know how to handle conflict and you say, hey, don't talk to me yet. Go talk to the other person because I don't want to get involved in the gossip. You're sending them off a cliff. You really are. You have to have compassion for the people that come to you. Now, if you detect gossip in that a little bit, say, hey, point it out. I, did, I may be right or wrong. I'm not sure, but I detect a little gossip there. I don't really want to speak into that. What I do want to speak into, though, is how I think you should handle this situation. There's a way to maneuver around that. Does that make sense? So don't just write people off. But if you have a blind spot, see if you can have a trusted confidant in your life to speak into that. And ask God, too. Ask the person, am I the problem? Uh, is there something I'm doing wrong? Am I being too sensitive? Am I being too insensitive? I'm not really sure. Ask God and ask other people. Confession is a powerful tool for reconciliation. And when you begin humbly by admitting your, stakes, or your mistakes, it diffuses the other person's anger and it disarms their attacks. So let's not make excuses. Let's not shift the blame. Let's own up to our response of what we're responsible for and just ask for forgiveness. It's that simple. Number five, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. I want to give a little acronym that goes with this too. Think before you speak. It's pretty simple. Hopefully we have that. Um, think. So T, is it true? Not is it your truth? But through your, you know, time with God, maybe the trusted people in your life getting wisdom, is this actually true? H, is it helpful? Is this going to help the whole entire situation? Is it going to help this person? I, is it inspiring? Just like Paul started in the very beginning of this, kind of commending him, telling him, hey, you're a fellow brother. I'm so proud of you. How are you building this person up? Is it going to inspire them? What's about to come out of your mouth? N, is it necessary? Is what you're saying completely necessary and relevant to what's going on in the conflict? And K, is it kind? Are you speaking out of love? So if what you're about to say does not pass those tests, just keep your mouth shut. Don't say it. I have a hard time with this. But don't force other people into reconciliation. Give them a choice. The other thing Paul does here, like I just said in verse 8, he says, hey, I've got enough power over you that I could just order you to do this, but I'm not. I'm, I'm merely asking. 
He's giving him the choice. He's trying to find a middle ground, so to speak. And speaking in love is something Paul talks about in Ephesians. He says it indicates spiritual maturity when you speak out of love. Many people speak their mind. They speak what their truth is. But, and sometimes it could even be true, but they don't do it out of love. And some people are super loving, kind, but there's no truth to what they say. Find that balance of speaking the truth and love. Paul did this. He did it with great tact and concern for the other party. It's just hard for me, like I said, because sometimes I see other people. I'm like, you are basically the spawn of Satan, like devil himself, antichrist. There's no way. And we, like, rationalize because of what they've done and all these things. But I'm like, man, if Jesus could forgive every single sin that I ever did and then multiply that by how many billions of people have been on the earth, I could probably do that with this one person for the six times they maybe screwed me over. Like, we have to change our mindset. If God, if Jesus came here and did that for us, how come we can't do that for other people? Number six, cooperate as much as possible. Verse 13 and 14, Paul says, I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. So that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. He's cooperating and meeting in the middle with Philemon here. Romans 12, 18 says, if it's possible, as far as, far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He's saying here, everything that's in your control and you have responsibility over, live at peace with every single person. It's your job to do that. But peace always has a price tag. And a lot of the time, it's our self-centeredness and our pride. Because you did this, and a lot of these things that we go through, guys, they are so legitimate. Like, people go through terrible things where forgiveness is more, I'm not going to lie, it is more difficult than other people's road. That's just, I think, facts. Like, there are some things that people go through that are awful, but the gravity of the situation doesn't dictate the truth that God has given us. It really doesn't. Yeah, it may be harder. Man, you got the short end of the stick. God still calls us to do that, though. So maybe get around some people who have done it before. Maybe get around some people who haven't maybe had as, as hard as you, but they deal with conflict, and they do it constantly, and they know how to do it. But it is so important that we cooperate when we're trying to resolve conflict and we're trying to restore relationship with people. That's when you discover who you really are is you can, give, you can give up your side of the story. And just like Paul did, I mean, he said, hey, if this guy owes you anything, I'll, I'll take care of that. Don't really care because I'm about people more than I am about the problem. And I care about people. And that's what we should do. That's what God has called us to do, to be reconciled to him. But we can't be reconciled to him if we're quarreling with everyone around us. So the last point I have, and the worship team can come up, is emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. Emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. It is unrealistic to, ex to expect for everyone to gr agree about everything. Reconciliation focuses on relationship, 
Paul resolution focuses on the problem. When we focus on reconciliation, the problem loses significance and often becomes irrelevant. See, we can reestablish a relationship even when we're unable to resolve our differences. I think a lot of, especially being inside of ministry, working here, Christians, we have a lot of theological debates, so to speak, all the time on different things. And a lot of the time, I I rarely get involved with them, one, because I'm not educated on some of them. I'm not going to speak on something I'm not educated about. Um, But at the end of the day, I'm like, man, does, whether I think, pre-trib, post-trib, we can, we can talk about it, but is that really more important than learning how to just, like, love my neighbor? Like, there's so many simple, like, commandments God has given us that we haven't mastered, and we kind of quarrel over these theological things. I'm like, man, there's so much more important things to worry about. I don't even know how to love the Father properly and love my neighbor like myself. Why, why would I care if Jesus comes before or after? Like, I don't, Why? And these things like literally divide people sometimes. But it's possible to disagree without being disagreeable. It's like that analogy sometimes people use, like a diamond looks different from different angles. Like when people see, you know, this water bottle, like if you've never seen in your entire life a water bottle, and I just see this side and you just see that side, we're gonna be describing two completely different things. It's still a water bottle. You know what I'm saying? But God expects unity from all of us. He doesn't expect uniformity. We can walk arm in arm without seeing eye to eye. We can do that. It's possible. And I think Paul shows us this perfectly again. I'll bring up verse 18 again. Paul says, put it on my tab. Whatever Onesimus has done to offend you, I'll pay it back. And there is a gospel parallel here in the book of Philemon where Paul is a picture of Jesus who... He's pleading our case to the Heavenly Father. We, Onesimus, the runaway slave, the person who doesn't deserve it, um, no no longer useful really because of our sin, but Christ says, no, they are useful. Not because of anything we've done, but because of him. And so he's taking on that character, Paul's taking on that character of Christ here. And that's exactly what Jesus says to the Father. He said, nope, I've got it. They're worthy because I am. We've got a signed document, almost like the letter that Paul wrote to Philemon saying, hey, this guy is free. We've got a signed paper of freedom from Jesus saying, nope, already took care of it all. All of it. And because we've been restored to God through the sacrifice of Jesus, our restoration with God should affect our relationship with other people. I want to end with this story that I thought was pretty cool. And if I, I'm going to butcher this name, but there is this tribe, it's like a rural farming village in Ghana, West Africa, called Akpafu Otomi. Um, surprisingly, though, English is the official language of Ghana. I had no idea about that. But the mother tongue of this place is called Siwu. So... The village from outside can be seen as like a God-fearing place. There's churches and stuff around every corner. They basically have like scripture uh, above the doors, like everywhere. It's super cool. But it wasn't always that way. See, there's two distinct Siwu-speaking groups, the Akpafu and the Lolabi. So over 100 years ago, basically, these two communities, they were separated. 
with no intention of restoring relationship to each other. But the funny thing about it was is no one really had a concrete idea of why the separation even took place. Perhaps it was like people in the tribe like arguing, maybe something someone had done or said, but whatever it was, they could not resolve the issue and they distanced themselves and they lived on like two separate sides of a mountain over a hundred years ago. And I think a lot of us, just like my situation with Pastor Jeremy, I don't know about you, but sometimes there's conflict and there's, there's relationships that are strained or broken in our lives. And we're like, you look back and I don't even know how it started. Like where where did it start? Where was the middle? Where was the end? Why did it start? I don't really even know anymore. But in the early 2000s, something brought these people together. And it was the decision to translate the New Testament into the Siwu language. So there was a decision made to work together as a team. They navigated through the idiosyncrasies of like dialects that they had made over 100 years of not being with each other. Um, but they assisted each other. And eventually in 2009, they completed the translation. And the people went around to their chiefs saying that this is going to be an amazing celebration. Basically, they all came together from both sides of the mountain. And that day that they did that, it started to rain. But people kept flooding in. And in the rain, they just sat there and celebrated together. So for years, these two distinct groups, they were separated because of a disagreement that no one could even recall. But their mutual desire for the word of God and their mother tongue gave them a common purpose. And the communities are now bonded by the words of the gospel in their own language. God is in the business of restoring relationships. For the Siwu language, for the Siwu people, like, he used the Bible translation to literally reunite two communities who had, not, who had been separated for over 100 years But what is it for us? What do we need to do in order to restore relationship to those that have hurt us or those we have hurt? So what I want us to do is put up those seven steps again. Take a picture of this, write it down, do whatever you have to do. But take a look at these and literally, I was afraid there wasn't, it's bad to say again, not a lot of, Jesus, so to speak, in this message, but he's all over it. I was like, man, this is going to be too practical. But God really wants you to use these steps. I believe maybe it's tonight. Maybe there's someone here that you place an unmet expectation on and they haven't met that and there's resentment. There's someone in your life, though, that God wants you to restore relationship with. I firmly believe it. That's why he gave me this message. And all of this hinges on forgiveness and us being humble. God gave us the perfect example of it. Jesus came here. wasn't concerned with himself he wasn't concerned with how much sin we have yet don't take that the wrong way I'm trying to say but he he wasn't concerned he was his purpose was to restore relationship with the father if Jesus never came here we wouldn't have access to God you know that right so he wasn't concerned with anything that we had done he knew what we were going to do. 
He knows what we're going to do our whole entire lives, but he's focused on us. God is focused on us as sons and daughters. But if we're not able to even reconcile relationships here on earth, how can we be entrusted with heavenly things? I don't think we can. And yes, I know it's hard. It's not easy. I'm weird. Like, I like conflict. But that doesn't mean it's easy. Like I said before, I just value what I know the end result is more than the uncomfortableness of going through it. I'm not going to let the awkwardness and uncomfortableness hinder me from getting what God told me is available. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to check out the Crossing Church Message podcast with Pastor Greg Davis. Once again, thank you so much for listening.